Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. You may be seated. Uh, before we make a transition, which we're going to make in just a second, I want to I want to thank our, our our children for joining us for worship in July. Um, we're really hoping that by the the end of July, your parents and the rest of us adults will really know how to worship the Lord like you guys do, because you guys do such a great job. Amen. Okay, I forgot something in the baptismal pool. Ye who without sin throw the first rock. I know some of y'all. If you are a close friend or a member of Stephen and Serena's McPherson's family, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I know I'm doing it in reversal. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're grateful. God bless you. Okay. You may be seated. How about anyone here from the D'Agostino family, close friend of the D'Agostinos? They're very new to us. Okay. Well, he's over there. He's back there. God bless you, brother. We're glad to have you here. Um, man, that was sweet today already. I know some of you are thinking, Joe, just go home. There's nothing you can say or do that's going anywhere. But let me say this. Uh, our, our children, uh, grade school, elementary kids, we have some folks, Miss Michelle in the back, that is ready to take you back with a special team of folks to provide you with some uh, discipling opportunities that I'm not good enough to provide you. So they, they, they kick their game up, and so they, they want to do that. So uh, you're dismissed to go with Miss Michelle and our River Kids discipleship team. And uh, again, we're so grateful that you were with us today. Hey, um, I, uh, we're, we're kicking off a new series today, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, we're, we're calling it Collide, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at accounts, um, encounters if you would, where someone's life just kind of was on a collision course with Jesus. And some of them were people he had hung out with for a long time. Some of them were, were kind of first kind of collisions, encounters where their hurts and habits, hang-ups, maybe their, their worldviews kind of collided with the truth of who Jesus was. And it just forever rocked their world. So if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to ask you to open them to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 24. And and we're going to look at uh, how one of the disciples of Jesus, towards the end of of Jesus' time here on earth, he was still having collision, if you would. He was still colliding. His life, his struggles, his, his doubts were colliding with the reality of who Jesus was. Now, uh, this, this disciple's name is, is Thomas. He's actually one of the most well-known disciples of Jesus, but we actually know very little uh, about him. Um, he was mentioned once by the gospel writer Matthew, once by the gospel writer Luke, once by the gospel writer Mark, several times by the gospel writer John. And if you have been uh, kind of in church life for a season, most of us know uh, Thomas's first and last name. His first name is what? <laughs> doubting. Yeah, his first name is Doubting. His last name is Thomas. That's, we, we know this guy is, as, as Doubting Thomas. Now, what does it look like when a doubter's life ends up colliding with the reality of G- who Jesus is? Now, I want to start off by saying this. I know some people think that uh, having doubts when it comes to matters of faith, uh, 
is bad. Let's say, say it that way. And the truth is, God does want to set you free from your doubts so you can live in the beauty of confidence in your God. But God is also not taken back with, with your doubts. God understands your doubts. And I want us to think about that as we go through th this message today. Now, doubts, doubts can be uh, an interesting thing. For instance, I could say to you right now, this is going to be one of the best sermons ever. It's going to be life transforming for you. And some of you are going to say, I've heard you preach. <laughs> I doubt it. You know? Doubt, doubt could look like this. Um, how, many, how many folks in the house do we have that uh, may have graduated from the Citadel or uh, may, may have a family or friend who graduated from Citadel? Yeah. Um, usually about this time of year, one of our SIT grads comes up to me and says, Hey, Joe, heard about summer camp and practice. I think this is going to be our year. And normally my response is, I doubt it. <laughs> Ooh, it's CSU's year. Everybody knows that, you know. <laughs> Watch it. Watch it, you know. So, sometimes our doubts can be kind of like that and be fun, but sometimes we, we have major doubts. Some of us, you know, show up in a room like this and we have a heavy heart for maybe a wayward young adult. And we're hoping that this year is the year they're going to come and just surrender to Jesus. But there's this little voice in the back of our heads that just keeps saying, I doubt it. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've been hoping beyond hope that God was going to finally send that someone special into your life. But you look down at your left hand and it just kind of screams at you. Doubt it. You know, there, there are all these doubts that just kind of flood our minds. You know, maybe you've been praying for a long time for a spouse. That this would be the year they would return to the Lord. They've walked away and you've gotten your, your hopes up and you're, you're prayerful about it. But that little voice just keeps coming back saying, doubt it. Maybe you're here today and you're not convinced that God could love someone like you. You hear about the promises. You know, you, you, you show up here. You've been showing up for a while and you, you hear about these and you start hoping that they could really be true for you. But then that voice comes back and says, I doubt it. So some of you are convinced that God, you know, is not really truly good because of all the injustice you see in the world. You, 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 you grow convinced of that, you know. And, and the list goes on of the things we can doubt. And here's what I want us to see. In, in every life, seasons of doubt are going to come. You may be right in the midst of a season of doubt and struggle. So how does that doubt collide with Jesus in such a way that your life can be transformed? How can you then stand firm in your season of doubt? And to, to think about that today, I want us to look at this scene from the life of the disciple Thomas. And I want to give you just a quick background. What, what's happened is this, what, what we're going to read starting in verse 24 is a week away from, a week out from the resurrection. 
On Resurrection Sunday, Jesus had, had been raised from the dead. He had a couple of encounters with uh, some women. He had a, a encounter with Mary Magdalene. And then eventually he shows up uh, in, the up, in the room. The doors are locked and the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples. Now, see, he, he, he did, remember, don't forget this. He had, he had died a death that was horrible. It was a death that you and I deserved. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He died a death that we should have died. But he didn't stay dead. And so he shows up in, in the upper room and he's alive and he's well. And he, he goes to the disciples and he, he hangs out with them. But the Bible tells us that Thomas wasn't there. And that's where we pick it up. So if you've got your Bibles opened or turned on, whichever one you, you've chosen, look at verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. I just want, I want to say something about that for a moment. Thomas, for some reason, decided not to show up to small group that night. He didn't make it to church for whatever reason he laid out. Don't know what his deal was. But he didn't show up. But who did? Jesus did. See, here's, if, if you're looking for a reason why you should never miss your group life, church, because just as sure as the world is you decide, ah, I don't feel like Jesus is going to show up. He, he, he's going to show up, you know? And you're, you're going you're gonna to not be there. Let's, let's keep reading together. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Because we were at small group. We, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, and unless I see his hands and the mark of nails. And place my finger into the mark of the nails. And place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is, this is the word of the Lord. Now, one of the things that I hope you're captured by is kind of the end of that, that story is Jesus says that those of us gathered here today actually have greater access to deeper blessing because we trust Christ without having seen. The McPhersons, AJ, the Augustine, because they've trusted Christ who they have not physically seen, there are greater blessings available to us. Now I know some of you are saying, how? I don't know how. But God said it. And I've experienced it. And you can trust in that. But what do you do on that journey of trust when doubt sets in? I want to make a couple of observations about doubt through our text today. And the first one is this. Doubt can come upon anyone. I don't care who you are. Doubt, doubt can come upon you. It doesn't matter if you have walked closely with Jesus like Thomas did for many years. It doesn't matter. You know, one of the things I found so interesting about this as we focus on this encounter with Jesus is, you know, the other interactions that Thomas had that we seem to, to kind of dismiss. 
Back in John, remember I told you John was the gospel writer who, who wrote most about Thomas. In, in ver, chapter 11, verse 16, it says this. It says, so Thomas called the twin, he's, this is the same Thomas, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. See, Thomas made this statement because Jesus decided he was going back to Bethany to help a friend Lazarus who has got sick that we know now eventually would die and Jesus would raise him. And the disciples are gearing up to go back with Jesus and th there, there's a conversation that breaks out and they begin reminding Jesus that the last time he was in Bethany they threatened to kill him. And so basically Thomas says, let's go, let's roll. We face death, we face death. How come we call him Doubting Thomas instead of Death-Defying Thomas? Why? You know, do we forget that that's, that's in the scriptures? You know? Uh, in, in the second time we see Thomas mentioned in the Gospel of John, it's in John chapter 14. Very powerful scene. The night before Jesus would, would be crucified. And Jesus begins mentioning that he's going to prepare a place for those who follow him and that those who follow him would be with him and in response to that Thomas just pours his heart in and says Lord we don't know where you're going how how can we know the way and Jesus responds I'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me it just speaks volumes of who Jesus is you know he says he, he says this is who I am Jesus says if you have known me you would have known the father he says, from now on, you do know him because you've seen him in me. See, Thomas was, was there for that. And notice, Thomas doesn't question Jesus' answer after that. He's completely satisfied in knowing that Jesus is who he says he is. And because of that, he's worth his devotion. But then, a week later, we, feel, we see Thomas overwhelmed with doubt. So how did he get from this guy who was so loyal, so willing to go even to death with Jesus, beginning to doubt at this level? Well, the short answer is, Thomas's world got completely rocked. It, it, it just got decimated. See, the promised Messiah, whom they believed Jesus to be, they, they had a Jewish perspective of what he would look like. And they believed he would come and he would overthrow the oppressors. He would end all injustice. But now he had been killed and laid in a tomb. And all of Thomas's hopes laid there with him. You know, my experience has been doubt comes for many reasons. It can come on you quickly. It can come on you slowly uh, over time. Doubts can sometimes come because of personal choices that you make or uh, relationships that you might have. But I found that the most common origin of most doubt is what happened to Thomas. Doubt getting forged in sorrow. I've watched this happen over and over again. And, and you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it too. Maybe your doubt that you struggle with today. Maybe it comes from some sorrow in your life. Maybe your marriage is not where you had hoped it would be. Maybe it's coming apart. Maybe a loved one has recently been taken from you. You know, after all the treatments and doctor visits. Maybe, you know, you've just cried out to God recently and you feel like you're being met with silence and, and, and doubt has come in because your world has been rocked. See, Thomas 
was a loyal follower of Jesus. Thomas was devoted. Thomas walked with him for years. He, he heard his teaching. He witnessed his miracles. He saw things that we can't comprehend. And yet doubt set in. And if it happened to him, why do we imagine that it can't happen to us? You know, my, my moments of doubt uh, always come you know, when I, I kind of look at life and, and I, my life kind of introspectively, and I start thinking, why haven't I progressed further? Why, why do I still battle some of the same thing? Why do I still get angry like I get? Why, why, hasn't, why hasn't that been transformed? Why do, why, do I, why do I still get sucked into sometimes comparing myself to other people? Why, why, why does that stuff happen? You know, and, and just when I, I figure it out, I think something hits me and stirs more doubt up. Kind of shakes me to my core. And, and then you know what happens? Evil one comes along and you start feeling guilt and shame about it. How could you doubt God, you know? But I want to encourage you with something today. If you find yourself struggling with doubt, you're in good company. You don't have to get past chapter three in the Bible before you see doubt hitting the human race. And then from cover to cover, the, the greats of our faith struggle with doubt. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God and they, they doubted his goodness. They, they just doubted it. The Psalms, the, the, the guy who wrote most of them was known as the man after God's own heart. But over and over again, we see the Psalms filled with praise, yes, but filled with doubt, filled with, filled with struggle. There's a book in the Old Testament named the book of Job. It is, it is the story of questioning God, just asking God over and over. There's a book called Lamentations, and it's, it literally is just a prophet pouring out his heart because he's embattled with, with doubts. The, the great apostle Paul wrote many great chapters of, of the Bible. Uh, chapter 8 of the book of Romans is one of those, those great ones that we turn to. And we read in verse 35 where nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then right after that, verse 36, he quotes, he quotes from Psalm 44. And, and, and in this he says, for, uh, it's written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are being regarded as, as sheep to slaughter. If you go later today and read all of Psalms 44, it is a psalm of sorrow. It is a psalm of questioning. It is a psalm uh, of wrestling. I encourage you, go read that, the entire thing later today. It's the, it's, he, the, the psalmist there asks some of the questions of God that if you were in small group with somebody and they started asking questions like that, you would probably say something, dude, whoa, slow your roll. I mean, you're disrespecting God. But the psalmist knew they could, they could bring these things to the Lord. It's right there, right there in the scriptures, you know. What are you doing, God. You ever felt like that? God, are you asleep at the wheel? You just, following you, I just don't understand it anymore. If it's okay for the psalmist to wrestle with those questions, it is okay for us. So here's another thing I want you to remember in your season of doubt. Your season of doubt never disqualifies you from being used by God. Never. You can still be used by God in powerful ways even as you're doubting. 
So understand, doubt can come upon anyone. Second thing we need to know about, about doubt is this. We need to shout out our doubt. We need to shout it out. When you have doubt, you need to say it out loud. You need to be painfully open about it. You need to, to say, I'm in the struggle. Look at what Thomas said. Thomas said, unless I, verse 25, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will what? I believe next week. He said, I'll never believe. See, th this entire interaction is just incredible to me. You have, you have all these disciples, all, all these guys, they were, they were in the same boat as Thomas a week earlier. They were sad and defeated. They felt alone. They were scared. But the difference in this passage is they've seen Jesus. They've seen the resurrected Jesus and, and life for them is a buzz. And Thomas comes back in. And again, we don't know where he went. But Thomas shows back up in the room and they tell him, Thomas, you should have been here. You ever had that happen? You miss a week of small group or miss church and you know, you know, you, people next week, everybody, you know, look around and if you see somebody who's not here, tell them you're not going to believe it. We buried, we baptized Mary and Joseph. You know, it'll freak them out. You know, um, the, uh, just, you know, tell them, you know, it was, it was, it, here's the deal. Thomas shows up and the, the, the disciples are so excited. Jesus showed up and he, he gave them the same very commission that the Father had given to him. It was amazing. There was, it was like revival in the room. And how did Thomas respond? Thomas, I can't, I can't believe it. I mean, it's kind of like he said, dude, you've been in this room too long. You know, you've been held to carbon monoxide or something. You need to get out and go for a walk. Because... You saw what happened to him. He died. He didn't just die. He was tortured to death. It, it, he, he was killed. We, he was put in a tomb. They rolled a stone over it. He was beaten. It's interesting to me that some English translations pick this up. The ESV doesn't really well. Um, in verse 25 it begins with, so the other dis disciples told him we have seen the Lord. The, the, the actual word there in the original language means that they kept telling him. They kept telling him. He would say, you know, go for a walk. They'd say, no, no, Jesus was here, baby. You missed it, but, but, but he was here. He is alive. And finally, Thomas had all he could stand and he said, stop it. The only way, the only way that I believe is if I can see him and touch him. You know, this is just kind of incredible to me about this exchange. Thomas was the one guy in the room who we ever see who was willing to voice his doubts. Now, we can look at this, this encounter and we could say, well, man, he should have believed those boys. Those were his boys. You know, he'd hung out with these guys, some of them for, for years. You know? They, they had done life together. He should, he should have believed them. But he has, he has doubts. You know, here's kind of a, a, another idea about, about Thomas, you know? Maybe if we can't call him death-defying Thomas, maybe we should call him honest Thomas. Dude was honest. He was, he was real. He, he, got, he got down to the truth of his struggle. You know, we all need to have those soul-searching questions where we say, search me, O oh God. Maybe, maybe one that we all need to ask ourselves is, are we as honest as Thomas was about our struggle? 
Do we have people in our lives that we're honest enough with to say, I'm having some doubt here. See, it's easy to show up to church. It's easy to, to show up in, in group life, Bible study, small group, those kinds of things, and just go through the motions. We show up, you know, we, we sing some songs that lift our souls. Thank God for our praise and worship team. Calgary, thank you for, for leading uh, as Terry's on sabbatical. Keep praying for Pastor Terry while he's on sabbatical this month. And, um, but we, you know, we show up here. We, we get into God's word. We feel encouraged. But if we're honest, when we look down deep inside, some of us know we're just going through the motions. And we're, we're deathly afraid of how we'd be looked at or what might happen if somebody knew my stuff. Somebody knew my doubts, my, my struggle today. And I just, just wanna kinda be real here for a minute. Me too. Me too. You know, it, it's, true, it's true of all of us. There are days when I, I do my morning time with the Lord in our sunroom. And there are days when I'm, I'm there in, in the morning hours having just an internal battle that I have from time to time. And this thought crosses through my mind. If you knew, could I still be your pastor? If you knew what I battle with sometimes, you know? You ever feel like that? Is, is that you? Let me ask you, let me ask the, kind of the same question, but just a little bit differently. Have you ever started a conversation with someone that kind of went like this? I, I need to tell you something. And the next words out of your mouth, you just kind of unpack some of the darkest things in your life, the worst sides of yourself. And then that person decides to love you anyway. To stay with you anyway. Or maybe you never intended to do it. Maybe you never built up the courage. But you were just somewhere one day and it just kind of vomited out. Just landed on somebody. And they looked at you with grace. And they embraced you and they pulled you, pulled you in. When you thought nobody would love you if you knew that. Now the truth is, I don't let everybody in that deep. And there are probably some people you shouldn't because they probably couldn't handle it. But if, if you've ever had a conversation like if you've ever been close to something like that, the first thing that you will remember is that you were scared to death. You were terrified. But then you were struck by awe. You were blown away that they responded in love. That they responded in acceptance. And they, they embraced you. They pulled you in. If you've been living in doubt and fear that if somebody knew the real you, if that's you and, and you've not, you don't have a place to take that, I, I believe this with my whole heart that God brought you here today to hear me say that's how he rolls. That's what he does. That's how Jesus operates. When you bring your doubt, your struggle, your pain to him, he accepts you. He, he pulls you in. He responds by saying this. I knew that. I forgave that already. What else you got? See, that's who Jesus is. 
And so if your heart landed here today troubled, if you are in hiding, any of you, Jesus wants you to know there's good news for you in him. When I've taken those steps of being real with some people, most liberating days of my life, most freeing times in my life when I do that. To have, have some brothers in your life you can sit across from over coffee or lunch or something and just kind of black and have them love you, pray over you, lay hands on you, love on you, call you the next week to see how you're doing, text you. It, it is life altering. And so one of, the, one of the regular prayers that I pray for us and our leaders pray for us, and I would invite all of you to pray for us, is that God would never, ever let us become a place where it's not okay not to be okay. That we would always be a place where we can be real and honest, where it's, it's, it's okay not to be okay. Where somebody could be like Thomas, death-defying, honest Thomas, who says, I'll never believe. Right now, today, in what I'm facing, I, I, can't, I can't see a way in, into belief. See, Thomas wanted the same thing that those other ten disciples wanted. He wanted to see the risen Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. See, friends, please grab this. Your, your honest doubts, when you take them to Jesus, will not hinder your personal relationship with him. It will always only strengthen it if you take them to Jesus. How many of you remember the first time you flew? Airplane, not... If you did this, I'm, just put your hand down. We don't want to know. Um, I remember the first time I flew, I had my game face on. I, I, I was good. I'm, uh, you know, you walk down that ramp and you, you... I was good until I walked through that hatch. And you kind of, you know, you can kind of see the wall of that thing and you see some of the technology right there. And I don't know what you thought the first time, but my first thought was, well, how can they get this metal off the ground? You know? How? How? And what about the pilots? You know, you watch these movies and they're like party animals, you know. Did these dudes get a good night's sleep? What's up with that? And what about gas? Where do you stop for gas up there, you know? How, how, do, you, how do you do that? And I just, I mean, I remember in my gut feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I could do this. But you know what? We took off and we landed. I was okay. And so my next experience coming home wasn't as bad. And then my next experience after that, it got better. And it got better. And, it got, and you know what today? I can get on a plane and not pay that emergency talk any, just no attention. I know I'm not supposed to do that. But sometimes it happens. Because I'm not thinking about that stuff anymore. I'm thinking about my destination. What joy there's going to be there. Whether I'm heading to something that, you know, that's going to be fun and exciting or whether I'm heading back home. I'm more, I'm more into the destination. Even the journey, you know, than I am. And why? Because I have successfully landed in, you know, taken off and landed, taken off and landed. I, I've experienced it. I, 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 I know what that's like. And the, the very same is true in our faith. 
You know, as, as we take off and land with God, as we have experiences, you know, with, with, with Jesus, as, you know, we, we know that as we have dug into this thing called life with God, when we've trusted him and he's come through time and, and, and time again, you start to think, he knows what he's doing. I, I can trust him with this next thing that happens because God, you showed yourself faithful. You've done it before and you did it again and you did it again and I start believing that. I start, I start trusting that. And I start believing that it's okay when I have a question that it's worth asking God. It's worth taking to Him. One of my professors and uh, advisor and he, he became a dear friend, Dr. Tom Gary, when I was in college, one of the things he would say to me regularly was this, Joe, deep questions lead to deep faith. Because um, Kathy will tell you, I wrestled with a lot of my faith stuff in college. I struggled a lot as I was preparing for ministry. And I would ask these questions and then I would feel guilty for asking them. And Dr. Gary would say, Joe, ask them. Keep, keep asking them. See, in your honest pursuit, ask, but be open to what God said he would do. You doubt his promises if they don't make sense to you? You know, it doesn't change his promises. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises are the same too. So you can ask him, ask him anything. You can do that. But what, what you need to do in your pursuit is just dig in. And maybe ask some questions about why you're having a hard time taking men as word. See, when you doubt that God is a God of love... Uh, you know, who truly loves you and cares for all of his creations. Here's what's happened. At that moment, you're looking at God through your perspective of God. Who you have made him to be. And when you view God from your perspective and not from this book's perspective, when you start viewing God from, from your perspective, here's what happens. You actually end up with a little G God, not the real God. You, you end up with a God that's not God. He's, he's, your, he's your idea. And as soon as you begin to be honest about your doubting of something, one of the things you need to also be honest about is, I got a, I got a confused perspective of God. But see, in that moment when Thomas came alive for it, you know, he, he, his thought, what he, was, what he was battling was, Jesus is not God enough to be alive. That's, that's what was going on in Thomas. Jesus was not God. I, I thought he was God, but he must not be enough God to be alive. So another question I think that leads us to ponder is this. When you doubt something about God, what is it saying about who God is? About your view of him? What, how does it cause you, you know, to live your life because you're viewing God? Because you're skeptical of who he is? For instance, are you angry today because he's allowed certain things to happen to you? Or are you scared because of what has happened in the past and is keeping you from moving forward with God? What is it? What is it that about God, about who the Bible says he is that you're struggling with? And, and let me encourage you with something. In your, in your honesty, when you're getting real honest about your own perspective, your, your worldview of who God is, Jesus already knows. He already knows. You're safe with him. That's not news to him. He knows you're, you're doubting that about him. And friends, it, it's okay. It's okay not to be okay in a certain area of faith. But here's what's not okay. 
it's not okay to decide I'm going to stay there. I'm just not going to take it. I'm just going to, I'm going to sit and stew in this. And this leads to kind of my, my final observation from this text, and it's this. You don't need to sit and stew because here's the truth. Jesus came to transform disciples out of doubters. You know, we've all been doubters. There's not been a disciple that ever walked the face of the earth that did not have some kind of doubt. You know? Look back at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with, Thomas was with, he showed up a small group. He said, I ain't never missing a small group again. He said, he was, although, please notice this, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas has been sitting in his doubt for a full week. His problem not getting resolved. Some of you may have been sitting in your doubts longer than that. Your struggle may be much longer than a week. You know? But here's, here's something interesting here. This is why I pointed out the door was locked. We find all of these disciples who saw Jesus a week ago, who were so excited to tell Thomas, where are they? They're in a room with the door locked. Why? They're still not sure about the future. They've seen Jesus. He had given them the same commission that God the Father had given, you know, him. But where are they? Same place they were a week ago. Only thing different is, is that Thomas is with them. And, and I think that's why Jesus starts the conversation the way he starts the conversation. He greets them with what? Shalom. Peace, peace be with you. Now he's already said that once to, to the group except for Thomas. Back in, in verse 19, if you, if you look there, on, the, on that, that resurrection Sunday when he showed up in, in the room, they were in behind locked doors because they were afraid, the Bible tells us. Jesus came and stood and he said, peace be with you. They didn't have a full measure of peace yet. Hadn't, hadn't quite settled in. You know? But I believe this. I believe when Jesus used that word for Thomas... Because of his engagement with Jesus that we read about in John 14, Jesus, I think his mind flashed back to that whole conversation. Because when you get down to verse 27 of chapter 14, Jesus, after he told him he was going to go prepare a place for them, this is what he said. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. See, this greeting of peace would be kind of like, you know, in, in Jewish life, kind of like we go, what's up? You know, they, they said shalom, and the guy, you say shalom back kind of thing. That is not what's going on here. This is, this is so much more. Jesus says, I told you I was going to give you peace. I told you I was going to leave you with peace, and I did it. I, I died to make peace with you and God possible. I died to death, you should have died. I got put in a borrowed tomb, and I came out. And I conquered sin and death. Friends, no matter what turmoil you're in, no matter what doubt you may have, when you, when you bring it to Jesus, the collision is always going to be with Jesus saying to you, cool, I'm bringing you peace, man. Bring your doubt 
and I'll match it with my peace. Bring your struggle and it'll collide with my peace. Bring it and it will always be transformed. And I love after he says, peace be with you. Who does he head for? Who does Jesus make a beeline for? He goes straight to Thomas. Straight, I mean he heads straight, he's straight to Thomas. The one with the doubts. And please, please pick up on this. Jesus does not chastise Thomas. Lots of times in interactions that Jesus had with the disciples, when they showed lack of faith, he would call them little face. You little face. He does not do that with Thomas. He doesn't dismiss his doubts. It, in fact, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Thomas, I know your doubts are real for you. I know the struggle is real for you. But I got something more real. I got something better than, than that reality. Thomas, it's what you're asking for. Here's my hands. See him touch him. Put, put your, 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 your hand in my side. See, Thomas, see my wounds. My wounds are for you. How does Thomas respond? Does he stick his hand in and say, ooh, squishy. He doesn't do that. Nothing in the text tells us that he ever touched Jesus even though he said, I can't believe until I touch him. What happens immediately is Thomas's response is this. It's one of the greatest confessions of the deity of Jesus we have in the New Testament. He says, my Lord and my God. Today to the Augustinos, the McPhersons, AJ. They said he's my Lord, my God, my Savior. And see, the truth is, when we encounter this, when we, when, we, when, when we see this great confession where Thomas is saying, this is Yahweh God, creator God, everlasting God. He's alive. You and I got to figure out what do we do with that personally? How, how, do, we, how do we do this? What, what does it mean to you personally? Have you made that, that confession? See, Jesus, Jesus knows, he knew Thomas's heart. He knew the struggle. He knows the heart of every man, woman, and child on the planet. Which means he knows what you're doubting right now. What you're wrestling with. What you're struggling with. And Jesus is looking at you the very, very same way that he looks at Thomas. And he says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to chastise you. Look, I, I know what you're going through. Look at my wounds. Look at my, my, my hands, my feet. And Jesus wants you to hear in that all the promises of God for you are, are for you because of, of what I did. Look at my wounds. You, you may be here this morning and you may think, but I've gone too far. You may be saying, I let my marriage get into a mess. You may be saying, Jesus, I, I, feel so, I feel so all alone. Some of you are saying, Jesus, you know, have no idea how bad I want something. I, maybe I want a child. Maybe some of you are here today and you're saying, Jesus, this cancer, I, I'm so afraid. I, I, I have doubt. You know what Jesus says to you? Look at my hands. Look at my side. L look at my wounds. I died so that even though you're walking through that shadow, you don't have to fear. Because I'm, I'm with you. Look at my wounds. Don't take your eyes off my wounds. Why would Jesus say that? 
Why would Jesus say, look, look there? Because his wounds are the story and the truth that he had you on his mind when he went to the cross. It, it, it was an echo to Thomas. Thomas, look at this. Look here. Because this is, this is a mark that I was thinking about you. This is a mark that declares, I took my questions to God the Father when I was on the cross, crying my questions out, shouting out my doubt, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took doubt and he nailed it to the cross. And he got victory over it. And he conquered it. See, he was forsaken so you wouldn't be in your doubt. He was forsaken so you could be set free because only he can handle it. You can't handle your doubts. You can't handle your struggles. He had to take it to the cross. I love what John Stott says about this. A great, great pastor and theologian. He said, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In this real world of pain, how can one worship of God, a God who is immune to it? How could you worship a God? He goes on in, in uh, the, the book that he wrote. Um, just a great book. I got to look at the title because I done forgot. The Cross of Christ. Highly commended. Um, but he goes on to talk about that he's been in Buddhist temples and he's, he's seen the Buddha sitting there, you know, legs crossed with a little smile on his face and he, he, it, it breaks his heart because he turns and, and walks away because he says, you know, this, this thought of having serenity in this life just by, you know, thinking things. He said, that's no God. You got to see a God who was tortured, who was beaten, who understands your pain who was not immune to it. If you want somebody who gets you, somebody who can do something uh, about yours. But here's the deal. You still got to make a choice. I still got to make a choice. What, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to trust him? Thomas responded with full on trust. He just said, my Lord, my God. Church historians tell us this about Thomas. They tell us that he would go on to be a missionary in India. He would take the gospel to India where he would die a martyr's death. He was death-defying Thomas after all. He, he, he did that. His, his, his confession communicates why he would do that because Jesus was his Lord and God. He could face anything. But he couldn't do it until he got honest with God about his doubts. He couldn't, he could he never became that man had he never taken that step to allow his doubts to collide with the resurrected Jesus. Because in those moments life was overwhelming him but he took it to Jesus and he was transformed by the glory of God. That, that, that's what he did. Now some of you, you know, you may be here and saying, Joe, that sounds great in theory, but I'm not living a theory, man. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I've been tracking with you, but I'm not suffering in a theory. You know, I, I don't want to live with this doubt. I don't want to live stuck in, in the past or this struggle. But I'm here. What do I do? Quickly, I want to give you three, just three kind of suggestions. Three things to put on your to-do list. The first one is this, battle. 
We need, we need to battle. You've got to battle to get to the breakthrough. We, we, we must battle. See, Thomas could have just walked away. We, after the, the, his small group told him, you missed Jesus, man. Thomas could have said, yeah, that's my life, man. I'm done. Wash, I'm washed up. You know? But over and over again, the disciples kept, kept coming after him, which tells us, if you've got a doubting friend, don't give up. Keep telling him, Jesus is, Jesus is alive. Jesus is for you. you. You keep loving on them even though they're maybe rejecting you. Maybe they're trying to shut you up, but you keep loving them. I, you know, one of the things to, that's so cool to me is, why did he stay around for eight days? What, what, what was he waiting for? I believe he secretly still had a little glimmer of hope that God would do something. And I don't know a person on this planet that can live without a little bit of hope. Just a little bit. And so you step in and when they're, when they're hopeless, you just fan the flame with a little bit of hope. You pray for God just one more, one more percent of hope increase. You, just, you, you be hope for them until, until they can find breakthrough. See, Thomas grew up in a, in a culture that believed in miracles. Annually, they celebrated the Passover which was a great celebration of, of literally miracle after miracle that God had done to deliver the nation of Israel from the captivity and, uh, of Egyptian slavery. God did it miraculously. There were the plagues. You can read about it in Exodus. There were the plagues. There were the dividing of the Red Sea. There was provision of manna and water and quail in the desert. So their greatest annual celebration was about, was about miracles. And so Thomas was battling, desiring his own miracle. He wanted that, that to come. Some were saying it was true. Thomas needed that moment with Jesus. You do too. I do too. We, we need that moment when Jesus miraculously touches our bodies, our minds, our souls. So, what, are your, what does your eight-day wait look like right now? What, what, what is your eight day, what, how is your battle going in your eight day wait? Or 80 day wait? Or eight year wait? How, how is your battle going? Are you willing not to quit? To keep going to small group or your Bible study class or church? To, to, to hang in there because you know there's a little bit of hope and Jesus is going to show up in it. He always shows up there. Now, the truth is, some of you are saying, yeah, but Joe, my small group, those are messy people. This church, do you know what goes on here? Don't tell me, I don't want, no, kidding. We're messy. We're messed up people. But messed up people need each other. We need biblical community. We need people who will fan the flame of hope when mine won't be enough. When I feel like, you know, I don't know if you've ever had those days when you feel like hope is just kind of tapped out. You don't feel like you can sing a song of victory. You feel like if one more person tells you, you know, that all things work together for good, you're just going to chop them in the face. I don't know if you've ever had a day like that. But those days are going to come. And the only thing that's going to give you breakthrough is if you stay in the battle and just, just keep pushing on. Staying engaged with God. Bat battling forward through it. Because then you're going to see breakthrough. But not only do you need to battle, you need to do the second thing here. And this is going to sound weird when you think about battling. But you also need to surrender. 
You, you need to battle against that doubt, but you need to surrender to Jesus. Remember, uh, Thomas had proclaimed, until I see, until I touch, I will never believe. You know, I'll never believe. And then remember, we never see Thomas touching Jesus at all. He, we, we don't see that. He just surrenders. Here's what happens so often when we're in our doubt. We come to Jesus with conditions. We come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if, if you'll help me, I'll come to church more. If you'll get me this job, I'll do this. You know, Jesus, if you, if you do this, I'll surrender to you. Gang, it doesn't work. That, that, that will not work. I love what Tim Keller says about this. If you come to Jesus with a condition, that is your Savior. That condition is the thing you think will save you. And eventually you're going to end up having to save it. Because it's no God. It, it cannot save you. You will, you will actually eventually have to die for that if you stay in it long enough. Because it, it will kill you. Until you say with Thomas, my Lord and my God, you will be lost and stuck in your sin and your struggle. There can be no if. You just got to surrender. Surrender it all. That was Thomas's response. That was Thomas's life. Third, last thing that I want to give you is this. After you have battled and as you are surrendering, from that point forward, just abide. You, 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 got, you got to rest. You got to abide. You know, Jesus didn't come to Thomas and say, you faithful, faithless, not head, bumble brain disciple. Jesus, Jesus doesn't come that way. He doesn't come blaming him for not listening to Peter and the boys. Jesus, Jesus doesn't do that. He meets him in his doubt. Paul wrote to Timothy about this very same thing. He said, Timothy, look, dude, when you're faithless, Jesus is going to be faithful. You know, he's going to be faithful. Jesus was faithful to death for you, for me. You know, we, we need to remember that his kindness, his forbearance, his patience is what leads us to repentance. Sometimes Satan turns that in our heads and we think, you know, if I repent, then Jesus will be these things for me. That's not true. Jesus was all that and more before you ever confessed sin. Before you ever did anything, that's who he was. And so this is what you do. You bring your doubt to Jesus. And as you bring your doubt, here's what he's going to say to you. Look at my wounds. They're for you. They claim every promise in this book for you. If you will trust that what I did on Calvary's cross was for you. You bring it and I'll fill it. Let's pray. Father God, we come right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, one of my prayers today has been that through the, the testimony of those being baptized, someone will see a glimpse of your glory. Someone would see a life that is testifying it's been transformed by the power of Jesus. God, I'm so grateful it was a day of being across generational spectrums where people are saying, I've trusted Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died to give me life now and eternally. I'm all in. He is my Lord and my God. Maybe today for the very first time.
You need to take your doubt there and drop it off and say to Jesus, I don't understand it. I'm like Thomas, I, I, I don't have all my questions answered yet, but I believe that you are the Lord God Almighty. I believe that you came and lived a perfect life. You died the death that I deserved. You were raised from the dead, conquering sin and death for me. And the Bible says, if by faith you will trust him for that, he will give you new life. And he will put you on the pathway of having your doubts healed, your struggles overcome. He will walk with you. He'll never forsake you. And maybe where you're at today, you need to pray that. But most of us just need to be reminded to stay in the game. To keep battling. To surrender part of our life to him that we've been clinging to. Our what ifs. We need to drop them. Give them back to him. And then we need to abide in him. Because he is oh so good. Because he is oh so loving. He's oh so wonderful. Your God is good. And we come now to this moment where we worship him for his goodness. We celebrate those wounds. We celebrate life that we can have in him that overcomes and conquers death and the death that doubt brings. We come to worship you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.